All right, well, I want you guys to think about something for a minute, kind of a rhetorical question. When was the last time that you felt alive? I mean, really alive. One of those moments where it's like, this is what I was created for. Think back to when you last felt like that. For some of us, it was not that long ago. For others, it might be difficult to pinpoint a time in our life where we've ever felt fully alive, if we're being honest. And yet, living fully alive is the greatest reason why Jesus Christ came to earth. And we're going to unpack that truth more today as we wrap up our sermon series with Unveiled Faces. For the past three weeks, we've looked at God's glory through creation, um, nature, and humanity. We've looked at Bible stories of what happened to people in Scripture when they encountered the glory of God. People like Moses, Ezekiel, and Isaiah. Last week, we examine God's glory specifically through the person of Jesus Christ, as he is the image of the invisible God. And today we're going to look at reflecting his glory. How do we give glory to God? What does that mean? What does it look like to live a life that gives glory to God? So we're going to unpack that today. Go ahead and open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Starting in verse 12, it should be page 1646, if you're using a pew Bible. And this is the Apostle Paul. He's in the middle of talking about just the glory of the new covenant we have in Christ. Um, as the old covenant has kind of passed away, and through Jesus, we can now see the glory of the Lord because we've been made one with Christ. And the same spirit in Jesus dwells in us now. So let's pick up where Paul continues. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 18. Paul says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And we're going to focus a little while on verse 18 there, but I want to highlight this verse with, excuse me, with a different translation. This is the New Living Translation. It words it this way. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And so, to be clear, the all of us, of course, that Paul's talking about are believers. We, as followers of Jesus, have had the veil removed. Unlike Moses, when he would encounter the glory of God, it was temporary. 
For us in Christ now, the glory is permanent. There is a permanent glory in us. And to put it simply, author John Aldridge said, Your heart is the new temple, the temple of the living God, meant to be filled with the glory of God. God now dwells in the hearts of his people. His presence and his glory lives in me and in you. And one Bible commentator said, Christians are able to bear the bold, direct revelation of God's glory because the state of their heart has now been changed. In Christ, if that's you, the state of your heart has now been changed. So what 2 Corinthians 3.18 is saying is that God's glory permanently resides in us because Christ resides in us, in us through his spirit. And if he is in us and we walk in the power of that truth, we should reflect his glory. It should happen if we're living according to the plan that God has given us. The Lord makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So this verse implies that whether you come to Christ at age 10 or age 50, there's a transformation that has to take place, right? In our hearts and minds, a deep, deep transformation. So if you are truly a follower of Christ, every year that passes, you should become more loving and less judgmental, more compassionate, less insensitive, more humble, less prideful, and so on. There's a great article that Bob and I came across written by a guy named Irv Busnitz. It's called The Six Ways You Can Put God's Glory on Display. We have a slide here. We're going to spend a few minutes walking through these because they're really good. It's not an all-encompassing list by any means, but it's a good one. So Irv, I love that name. So he begins his list by confessing sin. This is one way we put God's glory on display. And he says, when we confess sin, we're displaying his glory because we are declaring his righteousness. And King David modeled this for us in Psalm 51 when he said, against you, God, and you alone have I sinned. The very act of confessing is acknowledging our weakness, right? It's acknowledging our weakness while at the same time acknowledging his greatness. And his glory, he is perfection. He goes on to state that our God is a forgiving God. When we forgive others, we proclaim his compassion and his eagerness to forgive. And being people who are willing to forgive as hard as that may be, at times it reflects God's glory because forgiveness is a part of his nature. Forgiveness is also a key part of the ministry of reconciliation, which all of us have been called to. So there's a serious disconnect if we are trying to point people to a forgiving father, while at the same time we are unwilling to forgive those who have wronged us. Serious disconnect if those two things are happening. The third way to put God's glory on display, this sounds simple, but it's trusting God. Specifically trusting God when life is difficult, when it's not going your way, when you feel lonely, rejected, 
abandoned. It's easy to trust God when life's going well, right? That doesn't require that much faith. But to trust him in the valley when nothing makes sense, that puts his glory on display. Number four, produce fruit. When the fruits of the Spirit flow from our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, when those flow from our lives, we are displaying his glory. This can look like extending grace to your kid, whether it's a toddler or a 20-year-old, when they're driving you crazy. Amen? Mm-hmm. This could look like being patient with that neighbor that you would prefer to punch in the face. And God's saying, hey, I want you to love him. Why don't you actually invite him over for dinner? Right? That's the fruit of the Spirit flowing from us. The second to last one is to give thanks. Psalm 50.23 says, He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving glorifies me. Expressing gratitude and thanksgiving glorifies him because it is us acknowledging that he alone is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And then lastly, We put God's glory on display through prayer. God tells us in Psalm 50, verse 15, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will, sorry, so that the glory will be um, shown to the Son. Prayer reflects the glory of God, because through it, we acknowledge His power and greatness. And this list, when you look at this, There's a couple of these that I'm pretty good at. Not to be prideful, I'm just being honest. I can do these pretty well. There's a couple, not so much, right? They do not come natural for me. They are really hard. And I would imagine most of you are the same way. Some of these like, yeah, I got that. Some of them, whoo. So for me, confessing sin and forgiving others is not that difficult. I have no problem confessing my sin individually or to 300 people. I'm typically pretty quick to forgive. If this comes to my attention, I've wronged someone, I like to make things right and ask for forgiveness or forgive them. But trusting God and giving him thanks when life is difficult, that, that does not come natural for me. That is very contrary to the way that I'm just wired I'm not a very optimistic person. When life gets difficult, I can tend to kind of mope, feel sorry for myself, be discouraged, lose heart, rather than having a healthy perspective in suffering that says, you know what? This is not fun. What's going on here? This is not ideal. But I wonder if God has something for me here. I wonder if there is... Something God wants to teach me in the midst of this mess right now. That perspective is very difficult for me to have when life does not make sense. I'm prone to take my eyes off of Jesus and turn them towards what's wrong in my life, right? Becoming disappointed by what I don't have, bitter for feeling neglected or left out, or just for life not working out quite as I had 
hoped. And when you think about it, something's always wrong in our lives, right? I mean, I can't think of a time in my life where all of my relationships were peachy and smooth, where there was no financial stress, where there was no health complications, no problems at work, nothing like that. Something's always wrong. Amen? <laughs> You're lying if you deny that. Right? If you do get a day where everything's right, oh my gosh, soak it in. Soak it in, guys. So part for me of learning to trust God and give thanks when life didn't make sense was opening up Scripture and seeing how the spiritual ancestors modeled this. How did people in the Bible, specifically the New Testament, how did they live, how did they respond to life being extremely difficult? So some things stood out to me. When I consider that 11 of the 12 disciples were brutally murdered for their faith. When I consider the beatings time and time again that Paul took. When I think about the Christians who had to scatter from their homes, being homeless, unable to provide for their little kids, didn't have food, didn't have shelter. Then you add on what Jesus said clearly, hey, in this world, you will have trouble. So I don't know where in the world I got this idea that somehow I was going to escape suffering, but that idea is pretty firmly planted in my brain that I would somehow bypass pain and live a peachy, comfy life. So, for me, studying Scripture, inviting a few trusted men into my life to point me back to the truth, to help me respond in times of pain and suffering, and to learn to fix my eyes on Him rather than what's wrong, I'm slowly learning to trust and give him gratitude because here's the truth. If he never answered another prayer for the rest of my life, he's already done far more for me than I could ever deserve. Come on, amen. If he never answered another prayer for the next 50 years, I have nothing to be ungrateful about. We've won the lottery, if you will, because of the grace and mercy that he has given us. So that's my story. Let's hear from a few of you. What's an area in your life that you have allowed God to change? He's taken you from glory to glory, transformation to transformation. It could be one of those six things we discussed. It could be something totally different. So when you reflect on your journey, your specific journey of following Jesus, what's an area in your life that he has transformed in a way that it is clear you are giving glory to God. People around you will testify. Whew, he's a different man. He's a different woman. She's a different woman. <laughs> Amen. She's a different woman from five, ten years ago. Okay? Whew. I'm not trying to get weird. So, what's an area in your life that Christ has transformed and people know those around you can say, yeah, man, you are a changed person. So the floor's open. This, this should be really encouraging, okay? The floor's open. I hope some people have been changed. 
Yes. Burning. Yeah. Awesome. Being set free from addiction. And in his freedom, he's helping set other people free. Awesome. What else? Area of your life, Christ has transformed, and there's no doubt about it. It was the work of Jesus. I thought she was raising her hand. She's yawning. Stacy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So she's talking about she's typically a get her done person, right? Let's get to work. And so people were saying, hey, you need to chill out. And so Christ has taken her and turned her into a person of peace for those around her rather than a person that can maybe cause anxiety because of their personality type because there's so much to accomplish. So that's good. Thank you. Anyone else before we move on? Yeah, so he's slowly learned to, rather than gripping life so tightly, the things that we want to release that control and say, whatever you want, God, even if this is not what I have envisioned from my life. That's good. Thank you, guys. You know, there are some examples in the New Testament of followers of Jesus reflecting his glory. If you think of, think about the disciple Stephen. He was one of seven men that was designated to distribute food to widows um, in the early church. And Acts 6-8 tells us that he was full of grace and power and performed um, great wonders and signs among the people. He was a spiritual powerhouse, if you will. And most Christians know Stephen as the first martyr, okay? He was the first person to be murdered for following Jesus. And he was seized 
And he was brought before the top Jewish leaders called the Sanhedrin. And Acts 6.15 says, All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. While standing before his accusers with his face glowing like an angel, he was radiating the glory of Jesus Christ to every single person who laid eyes on him. And I know this is kind of an extravagant example. Seems like a little miraculous, right? Most of us have probably not looked at someone and they looked like an angel. I get that. But it begs the question, when people look at us and how we live, do they see the glory of God? When people look at you and your life, do they see the glory of God? In the article I discussed earlier, Irv Busnitz said, oh, we got a slide here, I think, yes. Glorifying God is not a memorized mantra of special words or phrases. Rather, it is a life that reflects the attributes of God, a lifestyle that is consumed with putting his glory on display. Is our life, is your life consumed with putting his glory on display? Jesus has something to say about this too. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Just a few verses I want us to look at. It's page 1378 if you have a pew Bible. Most of you know this verse, this passage. So speaking to his disciples, which obviously applies to all of us who are disciples today, this is what he had to say. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others, so they will glorify your Father in heaven. So how do we give glory to God? By living a life that reflects his attributes and putting the glory inside of us on display. Second century church father, I want to kind of hone in on this more, um, Irenaeus, he's often quoted for saying, the glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. And there's, there's some controversy on whether or not those were his exact words. Um, but regardless, it aligns with what Jesus said in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, some translations use the word abundantly instead of full, but it's all the same. The glory of God is man fully alive because Jesus came to give us life to the full. 
So what does it mean to be fully alive? I want to clarify by what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about climbing Mount Everest or riding your motorcycle up the California coast or taking some exotic cruise. So get adventures, rock climbing, and trips out of your head. That's where we often go, okay? But let me explain. I think much of the teaching that we've heard kind of in Christian culture about Jesus centers around death. To follow Jesus means to die to yourself. It means to take up your cross, die to your pride and your selfishness. And that is 100% absolutely true, okay? No doubt about it. But there's another side of following Jesus that's often neglected, and that's living fully alive to the Father. Living fully alive means being aware of who we are, the gifts that God has given us, and we use them freely in our lives for the benefit of others. Living fully alive means enjoying the beauty around us. It means being creative as our creator has made us. It means being playful and laughing so hard we make our stomachs hurt. It means we know who we are, we know whose we are, and we know our unique role within the body of Christ to build up his church and be a light to a hurting world. And when those two things, the blending of those realities, come together, we are fully alive. Knowing who we are, the gifts that God has given us, we are freely using those gifts while at the same time dying to our pursuit of control, pride, selfishness, the American dream. When that happens, we are fully alive. And we, when we live fully alive, we make a hurting world look at us in awe and wonder. They will look at us and say, there's something different about that guy. That girl is different. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but it is compelling. I want to keep spending time with them, right? The life that we live should evoke curiosity to a sinful world. I have one more quote I want to show you guys. In his book, Waking the Dead, John Eldridge said this, and really Jake alluded to this earlier. You are not what you think you are. There is a glory to your life that your enemy fears, and he is hell-bent on destroying that glory before you act on it. The story of your life is the story of the long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could be and fears it. So our enemy, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, he knows the glory that we possess. And it scares him to death. And he will do anything in his power to get our hearts to sag and to get us to believe that we are defeated. He knows that if we reflect the glory of God that is within us, we will push back his forces of darkness 
and he will lose his power. When we live a life that invites God's transformation, like 2 Corinthians 3, 18, we will become more like Jesus, radiating his glory to a hurting world. And when we shine brightly to others, not only will the power of shame begin to lessen its grip in our lives, but in the lives of those around us, people will start being set free from addictions. People will see that healing is possible and people will know that hope, hope is possible because they'll look at us and if God could transform us, then nobody is beyond redemption. So guys, as we come to the communion table here in a minute, I want you to reflect on whether or not you're letting God's glory be on clear display in your life. Are people around you seeing his glory through who you are, the person you're becoming, and the way that you live? Are they drawn to God through your humility and your choice to trust him even though life is falling apart? Do you reflect God's glory by the way that you spend your time, money, energy? Wherever you find yourself today, I want to give you guys some time to reflect and respond to this message. So maybe like step one of that article, maybe you need to repent and confess some sin. Maybe there's some hidden sin, right? You've been pushing away, but it's, it's time to expose it to the light. Maybe it's time to forgive someone. That someone could be sitting here in these pews. Would you be willing to make things right with that person? So I'm gonna pray for us. And after a couple minutes of silence, the ushers will dismiss you each by row. And you can take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. And we have gluten-free options if you need that as well. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you that you, you are glorious. God, and we thank you for the absolute honor to be your chosen people that reflect your glory to others. That is a high honor and a privilege, God. Lord, help us to be men and women that live fully alive, that learn, God, who we are, that understand our identity in you, that we are free, that we are beloved, God, that we have unique gifts to use, God, within your church and in our cities and our places of influence, God, while at the same time, teach us, God, what it means to die to ourselves every single day. Help us to be a church, God, filled with people that radiate your glory. Help us to be people when we're in our jobs, when we're walking around schools, when we're at restaurants, that people just see there's something different about us. The grace that we operate with, the compassion that we treat others with, help people to be compelled by it and want to know what is different about us. Help us to be Christians like that, God. 
Lord, we love you, and we give you this time of silence.